I'm sure he's right now worrying what's being said in the pulpit. Uh, Y'all done the takeover this morning. So anyway, let's have some fun today. I have something I want to speak to you on today called three phases of armoring up. And this lesson could be life or death to you. Like it could be life and death whether you know this message and what you do with it. And so I'm going to just give you a strong concept of what it looks like when you armor up in life. So, my introduction is that although man was not created this way, man is a shelterless being. He's shelterless. When he's born, he has no tough skin, no leather hide, no fur, well, maybe my brother, no feathers, <laughs> no shell, like a turtle or a crab or an armadillo. Man has no innate built-in shelter. He's alone, and he stands shelterless against the elements. That's how you are in this world. Man has to have a coat, and preferably, he has a roof. As a human baby, by the time your parents aren't taking care of you anymore, guess what you've got to do? You've got to do something to have shelter. You've got to do something. So, spiritually, it's the same thing. I want to know... Spiritually, how does someone look when he doesn't armor up? If I held up a spiritual mirror up here, and that's what we're doing today, I want you to take a look at yourself in the spiritual realm and to see if you have anything on, if you have any armor on, if you're clothed in any sort of a way. So, as we look at it, this is the concept that I want you to see that you are completely in a realm without any armor. Don't think for one minute you're armored up just because you're a Christian. Just because you're saved, don't think that you automatically have your full armor on. Let's see what you have to do about it. So I see spiritual warfare and armoring up much like three sentences in Genesis 3. So it's going to make it very easy that you're going to look in Genesis 3, which to me it explains the entire concept of what it looks like for you to armor up. So these are the three steps to get your armor on. And you're going to see them one, two, three, and you're going to know, am I here, here, or here? So the best thing you can have is prevention in your prayer. Where when you pray, you're able to do things preventatively. Because every day you're walking out into a storm. Every day it's an evil day out there in the world. You know, we've had some people get saved, and they get saved out of wicked environments. Some people have come out of just horrible messes that they were in. Some have come out of, they said they feel like their whole life was a tornado. And they said as long as they're in here in the building with us and we're talking the word, they feel all safe and secure and the word's going on and they feel powerful. But they said the minute they hit the door, they feel like they're going to be blown away. I'm preparing you for when you walk out the door every single morning. What you do to put your armor on. Let's put that mirror in front of you. Because what's it going to be like if we find out that most Christians don't have any protection on? They're shelterless. They look like they came out in their birthday suit. They look like they haven't done anything to put that shelter around them. You know, it would be like if they were a 40-year-old man and their parents weren't taking care of them anymore. And they just laid out naked right out in the street. You'd go, something's wrong with him. He doesn't have a shelter on. There's something wrong. He's just exposed to all the elements. 
Did you know we're doing that as Christians? That's what we look like. We are just out there to be a target. So, phase one, Genesis 3, and here we're going to start in verse 6. Phase one is the realization that you bit sin, and because you bit sin, you're no longer covered. And what that causes is fear to come into your life. Does what I'm talking about kind of scare you? To think, oh wow, it's a crazy world out there. Like something is going wrong every day in the news. If you're not afraid for yourself, you might be afraid for someone you love. You might be afraid for your children. That we have areas that we're afraid. What happens when we bite sin is we become afraid. We suddenly know we're exposed to something we've never been exposed to before. So in verse 6, it said, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it pleased her eyes, and it was desirable to obtain wisdom, she took the fruit and she ate it. And she gave it to her husband who was there with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Genesis 3, 6, and 7. This is the first stage. You have a knowledge of your condition. You have a knowledge that you have no covering on you. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a dream like me? Where I had a dream that I forgot some of my clothes. It's a miserable dream. The entire night you have this miserable whole night's sleep because you can't seem to figure out why did I forget them and where are they? And you're constantly running. Now, some of you may be more spiritual than me and haven't ever had a dream like that. But that's what it feels like. But unfortunately, we fill it with our natural clothes, but we don't fill it in the spiritual realm. Now, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Now, this guy is kind of the world's version or the secular version of Benjamin Franklin. But uh, Mark Twain says, naked people have little or no influence in society. <laughs> So I'm going to tell you, naked people, spiritually unarmored up people, have little to none influence in the kingdom of heaven. You have got to get your armor on. Yet, we hardly ever hear this spoken about. We hardly ever think about it. And if you're not doing it, you can come up here right now and take your wax. Uh-oh. I'm looking at Mark's church. I'm saying, okay, are we all right back there? We can just march up there and say, we are not putting our armor on. Now look what happens in verse 10. And he answered, this is Adam. He answered the Lord. He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So the nakedness, the, the lack of spiritual clothing causes the fear on our life. And it causes us to do less than we should do. It makes us play less than offense. It makes us go and hide ourselves. We're hiding ourselves from our problems. When we become without the spiritual clothing that God intended for you to have, literally, it puts you in a position of fear. So let's just write this down by this verse. Your clothes fall off when you sin. Just that's how it happens. Adam, when he transferred kingdoms, now he is the son of of a naked snake. Can you argue with that? When Adam transferred kingdoms, he's no longer in the image of God. He has transferred his sonship where he's the son of the naked snake. And that's what happened. You see it, and it's talked about in Scripture. 
It's shown that something takes place. It's transferred, and this is the element that sin does to our lives. So, Adam and Eve are the first case of failed spiritual warfare. In the Bible, right from the beginning, right here with the first family, you see them failing in the arena of spiritual warfare. Now, you have to live life, and you have to get involved and be a part of the kingdom to start failing. And you see them be a part of what God had told them to do. They were doing what God had put them on the earth to do, but they failed right from the beginning. So what are areas of spiritual warfare? If I tell you, you've got to have your armor on because you're in spiritual warfare, but you can't think of one area of spiritual warfare, what good does it do you? What areas are you supposed to be having authority in? Can you think of some? How about if you have an attack of sickness or a physical accident? You're in spiritual warfare. Uh, you remember Martin's son, where we get that text? Pray, he's been knocked out at the playground. Immediately, we were in what I'd call battlefield combat because the enemy has come in to take someone away. It knocked him completely out. How about temptation? A heavy temptation. Like you've entered into something and you think, there's no way I can pass up this temptation. Let me give it to you in a way Jesus said. How about if you get tempted to sleep instead of pray? How about if you get tempted not to study the word? Jesus called this temptation. How come you're entering into temptation? Couldn't you pray one hour? Heavy temptation is a form of spiritual warfare. Are you afraid of someone physically assaulting you, attacking you? Have you ever had to use your authority when someone was trying to do something to harm you? You know, I remember a situation in Dallas where a gang of guys decided they were going to pull me in the car with them. And I had to start using the steps of my spiritual warfare. At first, I tried to use a little bit of uh, my own jokes. I started doing different things. It wasn't working. I was going to be end up in the back seat of the car within minutes. But you start using the name of Jesus, the warfare. If you don't know the power of the name of Jesus, you're going to get in trouble. Oh, let's talk about this warfare, mental warfare. Have you ever seen a Christian where literally, mentally, they're not in charge of their own mind. Their mind's going crazy. You know, this time of year, one of the most listened to Bible studies that my mom does is depression, overcoming depression. Depression is mental warfare. Christians don't need to be waiting till the holiday seasons to overcome depression. Or to just say, I know come, you know, the holiday season, the first time I hear a Christmas song, I'm gonna start feeling that depression. This is spiritual warfare. This is the battle arenas that you need to be winning. We've got to define what they are. You might be one of those people that you just for some reason feel like you're going to fail in life. You're going to be a failure. Maybe someone always told you you were going to fail. You think that every time I attempt something, I fail. The enemy would like to show you your future. And it's filled with failure and humiliation where you just can't do anything right. You're fighting a battle with failure. You're saying that you believe that Jesus is victor, but you're fighting with failure. When you sing these songs, they were great songs. I thought someone had seen what my sermon notes were. It's talking about overcoming, but it's not just a word to you. It's not just something that makes you feel good in church. You really have concrete things that you have to overcome in life. How about if you have a crazy thought in your head? 
Like, I can't tell anyone this thought I have. Or it's a compulsive thought. And if you have a crazy thought, you need deliverance from that thought. That thought is messing up your life. You can't think about anything else. When you get still or when you get quiet or when you get in a certain situation or, or there's a trigger, you might have a thought that comes in your head. Some of you say, well, I just have a demonic spirit and it attacks me in my sleep. That's what it is that gets a hold of me. You know, the enemy tries to take someone out because of what they're doing in the kingdom. Or I do okay as long as I'm just hit with one thing, but if two or three things hit me at once, if I feel a little depression, and I get sick, and this happens to me, when they cluster up on you, when it converges, that is where a lot of times you feel yourself in the enemy's clutches. Like this wouldn't have gotten me alone, but all three of these do. How about nature? If you're in a situation where a storm is coming, a tornado, hail, does Jesus' authority give you any power over these elements? Maybe last night you had a tormenting dream, a bad dream about something bad happening to someone. Do you do anything about it? Do you ever feel like God's speaking to you, but you have the ability to pray and use your authority and change something around? Every one of these, you need to know how to turn them around. That is the secret about Christianity. You are not a passive Christian that just lets things happen to you. You don't just allow them to happen. Authority is where God gives you something to do about it. You know, in the Old Testament, we just expected God to do it. But in the New Testament, we have authority to be able for us to do something about it in His name. We have the power to turn it around. Every one of these. And this is the exact place that Adam and Eve failed at this. We cannot keep failing in the area of our authority. We see that Adam and Eve failed. But we've had thousands of years since then, and Christians are continually failing over and over again in the same places. You know, one man said, if you don't know there's a war going on, you are already prisoners of that war. So phase one, when you're exposed to the enemy's attack, when you know that you have been exposed to the enemy's attack, it is time to get your armor and make sure you have the full armor of God on. You cannot have a life, phase one, where you have never done spiritual warfare one time in your life. And there are literally Christians who said, I have never one time used my authority. Never one time have I commanded the enemy, you cannot touch me. You must use your spiritual authority. Now, phase two, Genesis 3. This is called fig leaves protection. It's like you're fig leaving it. You figured out you need protection. You've gotten used to sewing you a garment of fig leaves. And you have been protecting yourself with something about as strong as fig leaves. So in verse 7, when Adam and Eve failed, their best ideal was hide from God. They didn't listen to him to begin with, and after they did listen to him, and it happened exactly the way that he said it was, their next best ideal was, let's solve the problem ourselves. So they sewed together fig leaves, and they made coverings for themselves. The second phase that you enter into 
when you realize that you're not protected in this world that we're living in, is self-protection. I can protect myself in the natural. I do things like I'm very observant. I check all my tires before I go on a trip. I research the type of car that I'm buying to make sure that that car is the safest car in the crash. I go to the doctor. I have my blood work done. I have exams done on my body. I take all the tests. I am doing everything I know to check in the natural. The thing about checking in the natural, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's no real power in it. It just tells you the facts. It just tells you what's going on. You know, I think about it, and if somebody's afraid for their safety, if you really love somebody and you're afraid for their safety, you give them, here's some pepper spray. Now this is how you use it. Or here's a handgun. Or here's the ability to learn this certain type of self-defense. And it's natural protection, but it's not spiritual protection. Now God may tell you to use natural protection. He may, you may actually have where the Lord protects you that way. But people that use natural protection, and that's all they use, and it's not the power of God, it's about as reliable as fig leaves. It's something we're doing for ourselves. It's self-protection. But the real authority is in the power of the name of Jesus. The real authority is what Christ died on Calvary to give you. But it doesn't do any good for you if you don't use it. If it's just a pretty picture in your Bible of Christ on the cross, that doesn't give you authority. If it's just something you know that he's your Savior, it doesn't work for you. You have got to use your spiritual authority. Natural protection works like this. Well, I need to make sure my friend that's with me all the time that they know CPR. So if anything goes down, they can restart me. You know, or, you know, I got to really make sure that when they're keeping my child that they know the Heimlich maneuver so they can karate chop the, uh, no, that's, I'm not the one that knows it. But they have this thing deal where if they're choking, they can dislodge whatever's bothering them. You know, but someone that thinks in the spiritual realm, they're going to say, I want to make sure that I can be with someone who can rebuke their way out of any crisis. That when something falls, that they're not just coming at it in a natural sense, which that's skill. That's better than sitting there and going, wow, I hate to see them die that way. <laughs> you know, you don't want a passive person with you going, I'm scared of blood. Every man for himself. Hope you figure this out. So it's not that the natural is wrong. It's just the natural is the natural. It's just fig leaf in it. And it bothers me that if I want a course in how to do CPR, I can go to the hospital or the emergency training and they'll train me. But I go to the church and the church teaches me the hospital training and they train me. I get skill in church, I don't get authority. That the church is only doing what the world does. Why does the church only pattern after what the world's doing? Like we have the best thing to offer. We have the most, we have what works the best. And so what takes place is instead of teaching each other how we use our authority, we're just doing what lots of Christians do at this stage, and it's just the fig leaf stage. And their covering is just a bunch of leaves sewed together. You know, if you want to talk about it in the New Testament, it just kind of brings you up to the seven sons of Sceva. You remember in Acts where they decided, we're going to deliver this person of a demon. We've seen it done. We know we can do it. 
And they get into that situation and one demon beats up seven men. And literally, what happens? I mean, you know the Bible's laughing. It said this was told everywhere. That one demon beats up seven men, but he doesn't just beat them up. He takes all their clothes off of them. I mean, he literally takes what little covering they had that wasn't working very well for them. And I'm going to tell you what demons try to do. They try to see how much authority you're carrying. That funny story that happened to me with that girl on the porch. And when she was possessed, she had one thing in mind. She wanted to strip me down before she killed me. I mean, you could feel it. And I got tickled. I was like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be happening. You know, something's going on in the area of a spiritual authority. And you've got to be able to stand against that spirit of witchcraft. And that spirit that's standing in the earth that's trying to destroy all of us because literally the demons are testing how thin our authority is. They're trying to see in the spiritual realm, is there any thickness to their shield? You know, people make jokes about it and they said, when they said, pull out your two-edged sword, you know your Bible well enough that you pull out like a pocket knife. And here you are in a battle with your little pocket knife. Or your shield is thickened by the word of God and by your faith. And so these are the things that give you the ability to have authority. So a thin layer of authority, it is something that literally you can't fool the demonic kingdom with. The demonic kingdom knows exactly how much authority you're bringing into the battle. But worse than that, worse than a thin layer, is if you go read the nursery tale of the emperor's clothing. You know, you can be telling yourself all day long, I'm just a Christian, I'm protected. You know, when God wants to take me, he will. And you're walking around just like that king. That there is something that you have to do about it. You know, last night I went to bed and I had stayed up till one o'clock writing down verses on this lesson on authority. And I started thinking about it and I found out one area that you can test yourself in to know, are you reacting in the natural are you reacting in just the way you would do it in your flesh or like any other person in the world? Are you reacting with your spiritual authority? And there's one area. It's the area of hurt or pain. That's the best way to test. I want you to think about when you got hurt. Now, hopefully you're not sitting here hurt now. But when you get hurt, it's the best way to test. Do you run to the natural? Or are you able to take authority over it and get it under your feet? when you're in pain? Are you fig leaving it, sewing it together? Do you get mean? Do you shrink back? Do you hide? I'm hurt. I don't come to church. I don't go around people that are Christians. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. You're in the natural. You're doing just like Adam and Eve. You're running from the very place you could get help. You're running from the presence of God. If you get mean, you're attacking. I'm gonna just take this person out. I'm gonna do to them what they're doing to me but you're not pulling down from God the power that he's given us. You're not utilizing your overcoming power. You have authority over your emotions. You have authority over the enemy hurting you. It is not just outside physical hurt, but it's when the enemy tries to destroy you from within. A preacher has been taken out because of hurt. Many people have left the ministry because they got Hurt. Hurt is your number one battleground. You've got to win the war over hurt. So we're now at phase three. When God looked at his man, man had sinned, 
He had suddenly seen himself for how he really was. He realized he had no covering. He wasn't armored up. Then man takes it to the next level and says, I can fix it without you, God, and goes into the natural. And what's God's answer? What does he do for his man? It's interesting that he takes his man and he wraps him in a bloody animal skin. That's God's answer. So in many ways, I'm going to tell you the answer to your dilemma is the blood. There are so many protection scriptures. But the first thing that you've got to realize is exactly what it says. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony. And you're not even afraid down to your very life. The blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's spiritual protection. You know, it's the thing that makes the demons shake. And so the Lord God made clothing from animal skins. And he wrapped Adam and his wife. Both Adam and Eve. You know, I like the thing. It's you and your whole family. You got to be a covering for your family. If you're head of a household, that doesn't mean that you just get to tell everybody what you want for dinner. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you get to be in charge of the TV changer. Authority means that you run protection, a blood covering over your family. You are in charge of the protection of your family. Adam was with Eve. He could have done a little bit better of a job. You're over your children. You're not just telling them what to do. Every morning you're armoring up and you're praying over your children for protection. Are you scared about them going into the schools? Put spiritual coverings on them. You know, one of the best stories in my mom's Psalm 91 book is the tornado story. And they had been studying the protection of Psalm 91 when that tornado took the school down. And the very room where the teacher was told to keep the kids, the Lord told her, take them here and told her a different place. The place she was blew down. Every child was protected. And she could literally feel the wings of God around her. And she looked and no one was behind her. That is protection. That is what you have. That is what you do for your children. If you're going to have children, you need to take authority over them. You need to teach your children how to do this. You know, Exodus 12, 7, verse 12 and 13. It says that the answer to when the plagues were in Israel and when the death angel was going to fly over, which, my gosh, I think he's flying over all the time now, is put the blood on the doorpost. I just think about that. Can you imagine that night? It said when they put the blood on the doorpost that not even the dogs barked. When the death angel went over where the blood was applied, it was completely peaceful. It shows me that your home can be in chaos. Your home can be in confusion. People can be screaming and crying in pain. You know the answer to that? The blood. Putting the blood over, that's what keeps the chaos. That's what keeps the world, all the craziness. You know, you have your little box that lets the world come in. It's called the news. <laughs> and it's letting you know that outside there's a horrible storm going on. But you can have safety under the blood of Jesus. And let me say these words to you. If the blood of sheep and rams and goats, if the blood of an animal 
to keep the death angel out, how much more can the precious blood of Jesus Christ keep the enemy, keep the death angel out of your home? How long does it take you to say, I plead the blood of Jesus over this home? I anoint this house with oil. I cover this. How much more am I protected? In Exodus 11, verse 7, if you think about those who applied the blood and those who didn't, all they had to do is stay underneath the blood. All they had to do is stay in their house. You know, there's not one story about someone that decided to run out in the middle of it. Everyone stayed underneath the blood. So there's a responsibility for your children. They need to stay under your covering. They need to stay under the blood. You know, sometimes when I feel like I'm fighting a battle, that I'm going to be completely taken out. Like it feels like something is charging towards me. This is what I say. The blood of Jesus Christ stands between me and that death angel. When you feel like the devil is trying to take your life from you, that literally you feel an on front frontal assault against you, then you declare with everything in you, the blood of Jesus Christ stands between me and the death angel. It's the blood. Nothing can penetrate the blood covering protection. How is it utilized? You've got to do something. It's not just something where the children of Israel said, oh, we have the blood. In the Old Testament, they applied the blood. You have to apply the blood to your problems. You have to apply the blood to your family, the blood. I love thinking about the different ways we're protected. I think of Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is the defense of my life. The Lord is the defender of my life. A lot of times I tell people, don't strike me. It's not safe. <laughs> the Lord is the defense of my life. He will defend me. The Lord, I've been talking about this since I was young, that he's the defense of my life. I thought it was because he liked me so much. I didn't know it meant that I was going to have that many enemies. <laughs> the guy who wrote this had a lot of enemies. But you look into the word defense. Oh, it's a great word in the Hebrew. It has all kinds of metaphors. It has word pictures. It's a fortress that cannot be penetrated. They call it impregnable fortress. <laughs> they call it a shield. It's something that can't, at any way, on any side, it encircles you and it can't get into you. God is a shield to my life. The fortress, the shield, all those are great. But there's one secret one that I love more than any. The word defense means something that I don't hear anyone talk about being defended in this way. I hear the fortress, I hear the bulwark, I hear the shield. But my favorite word picture is that your defense actually means the scaly side of a crocodile. That paints quite a picture when you think about that rugged hide of the crocodile. Don't you think he'd be pretty hard to penetrate if you were trying to kill him if he was after you? Think about that. Looking at it this way, calling God your defense is like saying he's a shield, but it's like a suit of armor created from one of the most heavily armored animals in creation, the crocodile. That's what he is for me. That's what I'm covered in. It means shield. It means God stands in front of me between me and my problems. Those people that are trying to kill me, my enemies, they're trying to embarrass me. Literally, God is a crocodile 
armor suit. We're fine with saying God's a shield, but you don't think about this is the way that the word defense means. So it's nice. You're in a fortress, you have a shield, and you're wearing a coat of armor of the toughest hide there is. But why do people that are Christians seem to have the thinnest skin? If this is what we're supposed to be, why are we the ones that get hurt and offended the quickest? We're supposed to be like a crocodile. When we're determined to do what we're called to do, we need to think and act and be like the crocodile. So you've got to think in those terms. You've got to picture that you have a coat of thick leather scales armed with ridges and plates of bony ridges and the toughest skin on the planet. That'll keep you from getting offended, won't it? Well, yesterday, Mom and I sat around a round table with a bunch of dignitaries, and one of the couples that sat with us is one of the most aggressive slanderers. I mean, they literally, they love to stir up strife. They relish evil. And so I had already been face-to-face with them several times, and we'd look at each other, neither one of us speaking. And I was like, this is a big place. I'm going to go sit somewhere else. So I had planned on moving far away from them, but you know, as God would have it, or the devil, they're seated right with me. So I was shocked they sat with us. So other people at the table kept the conversation very interesting, so it wasn't bad. I enjoyed it. During this time, this other person that wasn't too fond of me, I watched her do something. She looked at me, and then she took her husband's ear, and she cupped her hands around her mouth, and she whispered in his ear. And then he smiled, and then he cupped his hands and whispered back at her ear. And then she whispered the answer back directly into his ear where no one could hear what they had said. And the minute it was over, I'm going to explain to you because this is at the end. On the other side of me, I'm having a very friendly conversation with someone I'd gone to school with, her younger brother. So we're really having a good conversation and having fun with each other. But I could tell it was making this other person... They weren't too fond of me, very upset with the friendship I had struck up with. I didn't realize the chairman of the company. (laughs) Until they were introduced, I didn't realize that's who they were. And she was determined to use her position to wreck it. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, well, it's just a matter of time. She'll say something or do something. But the minute she had whispered to her husband backwards and forth, then she got up and she darted off in order not to be near us. And I didn't know it was so she wouldn't see what would happen. All of a sudden, he stands up to the whole table. As he does, he didn't realize that one person, the CEO, the one that they were going to embarrass me in front of, she stepped over to speak to someone else and was just quickly removed. Just as quickly as his wife ran, she stepped away. But as a man, he's looking at the table full of ears, And then he decides to ask the most audacious question you can imagine to embarrass me. And I was standing there, sitting there actually with him standing up over me, shocked at the question he asked me. You said to me, what was the question? Well, I'll tell you this. I called a close friend up and I told her what he said. And all she did is start cussing. (laughs) 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 So it was a good one. And she said, you should have hit him with this, 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 and this. And so anyway, it was quite the question that he had posed for me. It was meant, like you just ask yourself, who would ask that? Who would do that to somebody? 
She said, what'd you do? And I said, I laughed. Because it struck me as funny. He just, have you ever seen anyone that just seems so pleased with himself? Like he had just pleased his wife, done what he was supposed to, and he's just real, real pleased with himself. And I laughed because God had supernaturally removed the woman that he was using to target. And all he did was catch all the men. And what made me laugh is they all needed hearing aids. They didn't hear a word that was said. Everyone else, huh? <laughs> so he stands there with a full audience, and God had disarmed the hearing aids. He directs the question to my mother, and the men had missed the whole thing, and my mother, just real innocent, turned the embarrassment around, totally diffused the situation. And I just sat there and thought, if it had happened one minute earlier, it would have struck its mark. And it would have been something I would have remembered for the rest of my life with me trying to answer. Yeah, I could have been hurt. You know, one thing went through my mind was I thought, uh, I could have turned the question around and asked him the same question. He had a couple of incidents in his life where he'd been struck. But you know, with people that are rude, you can't do it back to them. They're real fragile. Like they can dish it out and they can be mean and they can say the audacious question and they can try to embarrass you to your very limits, but they can't have it done to them. And you know what? I didn't want to hurt him. I had no desire to hurt him. Yeah, I'm shrewd as a snake, but I'm harmless as a dove. I want to win that guy to Jesus. I want him to repent. I want him to be genuine. You know, weapons are formed, but the bullet rolled out of the end of the barrel, and it was a dud. <laughs> and I thought it was funny. You know, because you're wearing your crocodile skin armor. And right before I'd gone to that event, I was like, I'm not going to go to this place without my armor on. So I put my armor on before I went to the event. And I said, no weapon formed against me will prosper. It will be formed, but it won't prosper. I was dressed in my crocodile skin. It was wrapped around me like a coat. It couldn't penetrate. No one can steal your joy. And no one can steal your peace. Because think about this. If the world doesn't give it to you, the world can't take it. And the Lord is the defense of your life. And you watch them shoot their best one against them. They can't get too mad at you because I'm still laughing. I think it's funny. Is the Lord the defense of your life? You know what? I love that mental image of God surrounding me. Like I have a coat made of Leviathan skin. I wear the beast skin. That is the defense. The Lord is the defense. What does your armor look like on you? Oh, Psalm 91, if you get a hold of that, what's so much fun about it is there are so many ways in Psalm 91 it tells you that God protects you. I've heard that chapter numerous, 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 numerous times. You can imagine. But in that chapter, every time I hear it, I hear something new that I pray out of it. I pray something specific for that moment, that time. I penetrate it with one word from it. You know, Psalm 91 is a great chapter, but it's not automatic protection. It's not just because you own the book or just because the author signed it for you. It's not just because you have Psalm 91 tattooed on your behind. You've literally 
got to put Psalm 91 into practice. You know mom's story. The hawk flies over. What does the hawk do? And the hen doesn't run and pick its favorite chick out and try to go land on the chick. When the hawk flies over, what does the hen do? She lifts her wings. And she lifts them up. And she commands you to come. That's what God's doing to you. During these days, he's lifting his wings up and he's commanding you, come to him. He's calling. That's your protection. I want you to imagine being that chick. When you're afraid, I want you to think that you're that little chick that would be just one little giblet gravy for some hawk. And you're running around like you don't have any sense to you. But when the wings are lifted up, you run straight under the wing. And what's under the wing? Warmth. Those soft little downy feathers. Under the wing is that beating heart. It's getting up close to God. Why mess with anything else? God has protection for you and he's lifting his wing up to you and there's many of people that know it but they don't do it there's many of people that get in danger but that's not where they run you have to pick that verse that so speaks to you you've got to do something you've got to wear the skins you've got to put the blood on the doorpost you've got to run to him he calls and puts out his wings but you must command and resist and rebuke and put on your armor. What place in the Bible do you use to armor up? I like the Lord's Prayer. There's a word in the Greek, pierzo, and it means every imaginable evil. And I love praying at the beginning of my day, Lord, lead me out of the pathway of pierzo. Lead me away from all the temptations and testings and trials and trouble and traps and toothaches that the devil would try to throw at me. Lead me completely out of that pathway and deliver me from all forms of evil. Armor up. And then Ephesians 6, 12 through 18, that you're putting on the full armor of God. Three times it says that you must stand with the full armor. These are the ways. These are the defense of your life. And there are people that never use the defense. So I ask myself, what story can I tell you to illustrate this? I don't know how much of this you'll remember of what I'm telling you to do, of what will be most helpful. So I made a list, a page long, of all the stories I could think of to help you. And then I started asking myself, which one best illustrates this? Something that would tell you, this is what you have to think like. This is what you've got to do in this situation. Can you think of a time you used your authority? Tell it to me. I'll use it. You know, I love seeing someone under an attack. Literally, that I can be the person that gets to them in a storm to tell them, get your coat on, get your armor around you. That's what I like doing, teaching people their authority. You know, one person who learns he has authority can turn around his whole little section of the world. It changes everything. So I'm going to use an example of taking college kids and telling them, You've got authority. And I think of Patrick. Patrick's one of mine. And I watched him start using his authority, first of all, to get himself free, to break generational curses, to get things off of his life that had been there his entire life. Just because they've always been there doesn't mean they always have to stay. 
So the first thing he did was use his own authority. Then, of course, if you stay around Pat too long, he'll tell you about the time the whole mountain was on fire. What he doesn't tell you, that, and it wasn't him who did it, but he's in the middle of it. And as he's beating the fire and, and coming against everything with his authority and nothing's working, it's interesting what the Lord did where they started worshiping and the rain came and God put out that fire. Those three guys were so ecstatic, but no one was happier than me because we can still have retreats there. I don't know when they will. <laughs> authority. You're thankful they had authority and there was a good ending to that story. I know you're tired of the story, but I cry every time I hear it. I would think of one night where they just wanted to go to a swimming pool. Men roaming at three or four in the morning, wanting to swim. And they find that little girl that wanted to commit suicide. And John and Pat, they used their authority and they lead that girl to Christ and they rebuke that spirit off that girl. I think of authority in your relationships, people who don't know their authority. I think of Pat, I watched him go under shock and I've watched him do what few men do and he's used his authority to have no agreement. I watched him lead both of his brothers to the Lord. I watched him lead Cameron to the Lord and that is the young man who brought the witch to us for us to lead the witch to the Lord. So in Pat's downline are his brothers that he started on their walk with authority. And then I think of um, his grandmother, but she was past the age that there could be any help. She had lost her memory. She was just waiting to go ahead and pass. There wasn't much left to her life. She had quit living. He brings her to Bible study we find out that every night since her husband had died, maybe a year, year and a half before, she had been watching his memorial service of his death all through the night because she couldn't sleep. When Steph rebuked the spirit of death off of the lady, she began to be able to sleep. And she started sleeping through the night. And now the lady who couldn't have a memory tells us so many funny stories that I'm collecting Bible study material from a lady who the family thought had lost all memory. Authority. You look at Pat, you look at the assignments he has. He prays for people here in the city. They wonder why he's sitting in the city hall meeting, the courthouse, because he's praying. He has political people God has assigned him to, and he prays for his family. And I love telling some of the stories of, you know, what John did on the mission field with the baby. But there's a story that when it's your family and it counts, that sometimes you have to have authority over death and you've got to command them to come back. You know, it can strike at any time, but I love a good raising the dead story. That's authority because death is that one thing that's final. It always lasts except there was the power of the cross that broke the power of death off of us. Serving the I Am Resurrection, when you're sitting there and you're just playing battleship with your baby brother and you hear your mom and dad in their bedroom and suddenly you hear a thud, thump, and you hear your dad screaming his wife's name, your mom's name. And then the next name you hear screamed as your name's being screamed as the oldest son 
Your dad's calling you, calling you into the room. He's calling, Patrick, get in here. He came in there, and he sees the worst thing a young man can see on his mother. He came in, and his mother wasn't breathing. She not only wasn't breathing, she wasn't convulsing, nor was she moving. His mother was gone. He checked her. There was no pulse. There was nothing happening. He looked at his mother, and he saw blood pouring down her lip. The fall had caused her to hit so hard she didn't have the natural response that you put your hands up. She hit it with her face. Pat wanted help in this situation. He calls his brother. Get in here. Pat commanded him. You start praying. They're praying, but they're praying over a person that's non-responsive. Pat's praying in the spirit. He calls 911, and then Pat made that call to me. What's interesting with him calling me, I was in my office talking to Eric. <laughs> when we get that call, so I told Pat, just keep using your authority. He gave me the details, and that's when I told him, just keep on doing, using your authority. His mom was very still on the floor. When he came back in the room after talking to me, he laid hands on her. He grabbed his mother's feet. And this is what Pat's words were. In the name of Jesus Christ, the spirit of life, come back into my mother. Come back into her. Cameron was praying. Both boys were in full gear command. The strangest thing happened from this body that had laid there. Her hands start flopping. Just her hands flopping, flopping. The next thing that happened after her hands started flopping and they were praying is she sat up and her eyes were open and her mouth was open, but it was not a pleasant sight. She was just staring at Pat. He said she was staring at me. Her mouth was open, but she looked like a zombie. He said it scared me. He said I, I felt like I was freaked out inside. It was so unnatural as the way she had set up, her hands had been flopping, the look in her eyes. What would Pat say? Let's pray again. Again, he's praying. In the name of Jesus, life come into her. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying a second time. After laying there still, again, it started. Her hands started flopping. It was like they were reaching, they were trying to grab for something. But this time, she came fully to this time she talked. And guess what she looked like this time? She looked annoyed. <laughs> like she had been in a deep sleep and something had bothered her. It was at this moment that EMS showed up. There was some shock in the household. I'd say the biggest shock was his dad had never seen his sons use their authority. He didn't know his sons did that. He may never have heard authority before. His dad had two shocks. At the hospital, they tried to put a diagnosis on it, but the doctors couldn't find anything wrong. Authority. Those moments when you need it. Teaching people their authority. When you see someone in an attack, you do something. Let me give you your verse. Luke 24, 49. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will clothe you with power. The Holy Spirit puts clothing of power on you. You look like sons, but you act like the Son of God. Let me tell you what the fabric material of heaven is. The material of heaven, the clothing of heaven is power. You know, 
Pay attention to the timing of what you hear, because you'll face it. Dallas Houston, a pastor friend of mine, said that he told his congregation, this sermon is directed to those who are not here today. For those who have that urge to skip when they really need to hear something. Who was this sermon for? Those that are not here, <laughs> that skipped, <laughs> and that hopefully will be listening. <laughs> the word comes just in the nick of time. What is the last thing you heard? You're going to need it. You have to have enough in you for whatever you're facing. That mustard seed tells you it doesn't take much, but it will move the biggest thing in your life. It only takes one scripture to walk you out of whatever it is you're facing. You. Churches aren't teaching this. Pastors aren't using their authority. Christians aren't doing this. But let me say to you, if you hear this and don't do it, it's dangerous. When you're saved and that's the only thing about you, you think, well, all that matters is eternity. I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven. Let me tell you in Ephesians 6, when you're saved and that's it, all you have on is your helmet of salvation. So you put on your helmet of salvation because you're saved and that's all you know about the word. And you run straight into the battle. And you don't want to take that mirror right now and look at you. You know what you look like when you've run out into battle and all you've got on is your salvation? And none of the other pieces you don't have on your breastplate or your lawn covering or your boots. You know what you look like? You look out like you ran out there in your white skibbies. And I'm telling you, the demonic kingdom is not going to take you seriously. And that's what Christians look like today. I'm saved. And we're fighting naked. You don't want to be the son of the naked snake. Because Jesus has died. Like Adam and Eve who lost their supernatural covering. Like the seven sons of Sceva who had it beat out of them. Worse than a bad dream that doesn't end. To not armor up and to go into battle with no clothing is stupid. It can make your whole life a living nightmare to be powerless against the attacks that are directed against you in this world. Amen.